we got to run a fine balance and a fine line within the church of still living in this world but not being a part of this world, which means we are going to have to draw lines in the sand at, at some points in time. It doesn't mean we need to be jerks about it. But our job, our call, our way of living is not to tolerate the world, but to affect change on the world. Thank you for joining us on the Orangewood Church Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date on our latest news and events. Make sure to subscribe to us on YouTube for more content and to know when we are live. We hope today's message inspires you and leads you closer in your walk with God. I want to start this morning by uh, just kind of sharing with you a little bit. Um, been, when I was out at Point Loma, one of the other things I learned was uh, this idea that we really live vicarious lives, that like what we experience through other things, we can kind of take that upon ourselves or we can loan out our emotions as well. And uh, I'm not sure if you've had these mornings where like everything that kind of can take a little bit of left turn or an odd turn or the not the right path can kind of throw you off a little bit. And that's been kind of happening this morning. And so I want to start by trying to bring it back around. And I'm going to tell you one. And if it doesn't go well, I'll tell you two. Horrible jokes that deserve pity laughs. All right. So the first one is, what is black and white and red all over? No, no, it's, it's, uh, it's not, a, it's not the, news, the newspaper is a common answer, but here, what's black and white and red all over is a penguin with a sunburn. See, pity laugh, thank you. All right. Now, the second one is, I, I'm, I'm going to go to, uh, just trying to get myself back in the groove here, right, is uh, I call it the greatest joke of all time. My boys know this, my wife knows this, and they're all going to kind of go, she's already shaking her head. All right, you ready for this? There's two muffins in the oven. One muffin goes, man, it's really hot in here. The other muffin goes, holy smokes, a talking muffin. That's the end. Okay, all right. Yeah, watch down, don't laugh at that. I tell you that because like this, this morning just kind of was weird. I'm like, I need to get in a different frame of mind. And so thank you for just kind of giving me that moment there. Um, it is um, that, thank you, Brad, for telling people that about the, the month and everything. I, I do want to say this, like, it, I don't, I always feel weird in those moments when like, oh, it, it's, it's this and the pointing out of things um, because pastoring a church is, is incredibly um, joyful, exciting, daunting and scary all at the same time. Um, and not because you guys are scary people, just there, there's so much reality to what, as a church, what we do together, the, the eternal value of the things that we are living for. Um, I've had many conversations with people before, and I had one a while back of just letting that person know, like the things that we say, the things that we do, not just pastors, but as believers have eternal impact on, on people's lives. 
And so we need to be really careful and cautious with like, not just how we live, but how we say and everything about our lives. Like it's not so much being cautious, but being, putting ourselves in a position to where we know, we know, we know, which, which causes us to live in daily moments with God and with the people of God. And, and so uh, I just want to say like, it, it's, it's incredible to be a pastor here. Uh, it's also humbling and, 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 uh, but also just nice. You guys are incredible people. I love being here. And uh, yeah, we continue our journey through Judges. Last week, we, we kind of set the foundation for some things. This week, we're, we're going to get into a story um, that is a bit colorful. Uh, there shouldn't be too much for us to imagine what is going on because a story paints a pretty um, easy picture to understand. And, and I'm not going to shy away from the story and not try to make it sound better because it's not, I'm just one, I'm just not that person. Like scripture speaks for itself and I'm not going to shy away from that. So um, I know there's been some things that we don't always say in church because it's not church appropriate or it's not Sunday ready or whatever. Here, it's scripture. This, this is what we center everything we do on. And so even when it's uncomfortable, we're going to say it and it's okay. So Hope you're ready for that. Uh, that's our little disclaimer out for the morning. So just be ready. All right. But I do know this. Uh, I know that every single one of us has a struggle, whether it's physical, emotional, or psychological, like we have some sort of struggle. Um, I've been dealing with the struggle with my left shoulder for a few years now. And for whatever reason, it's getting better at moments and it gets not so better at other moments. And I was showing Melissa a few weeks ago when it, I had a flare-up, I would take my, my hands and put them above my arms and my left arm would just shake. Uh, it's just weird, it's a struggle. So like the, what I was able to do with my left arm, I can't always do anymore. And it's just what it is. It's a struggle, it's there. Uh, it's, it's a deficiency that I have to deal with and there's things that in all of our lives that we have these things, right? Uh, it's not something that we just go around and go, oh, look at this. It's just something we deal with, adapt to and, and try to, somehow cope with. But these shortcomings that we have can also, you know, and, and shortcomings is not necessarily the right word, but I'm just going to use that for now because I think it helps just kind of differentiate. Um, if we're not careful, they can lead us down to this train of thought of questioning our own value and our own worth. Um, so questions like, can I really be a part of God's kingdom because I deal with, and we fill in the blank, Right. Can I really accept this job or promotion because of my, whatever we want to fill in there? Can I really feel the effects of the healthy relationship because I've been in so many broken relationships and is it something that's just on me or whatever? Um, so, you know, can I, could God ever use me? Why me, God, are you even sure about this? Like these questions, um, they seem generalized because when I say fill in the blank, because I'm fairly certain each one of us can fill in the blank with something. We deal with them because of the original sin, the, the fall of human nature. Because sin and disease entered the world, we deal with these shortcomings. It just is what it is, and we, we can't get away from that. But what happens then when God calls us and says, hey, by the way, I need you to go do something, and we look at ourselves and go, <laughs> do you understand who I am? The question that today is like, will you, will you rise to the call or will you try to argue out with God a little bit? 
So open up to Judges chapter three. Um, the story we're going to read is of Ehud. I'm assuming that's how we say his name. It's a great name for a dog if you have a dog. If you're looking to get a dog, Ehud would be fun to scream around. Here's the story of one of the judges. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and because they did, they did this evil, the Lord gave El, uh, Eglon, I'm going to say Eglon again, um, king of Moab, power over Israel, getting the Amorites and the Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of the palm, or city of palms, which essentially is Jericho. Jericho is a pretty big city, right? There, what's what's that song? Joshua fought the battle of, and the walls came. To, yeah, like th- there we go. Sing, um, I I can't sing. Uh, we want people to stay at the church, not leave the church. So I will not sing. Um, the Israelites were subject to, to the king Eglon and of Moab for 18 years. All right. So when Eglon comes in, takes possession of the land, 18 years. It's a long time. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gareth the Benjaminite. Or Benjamite. Uh, the Israelites sent him with, with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. And now Ehud made a double-edged sword about a cubit long. A cubit, just in case you're wondering, um, is roughly elbow to wrist type of a... So it's not like a... It's a standardized form, but it's standardized to the person of who's measuring. Um, he strapped it to his right thigh under his clothing... He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on their way those who had carried it. But on reaching the stone images near uh, Gilgal, he himself went back to Eglon and said, Your majesty, I have a secret message for you. The king said to his attendants, Leave us. And they all left. Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his palace and said, I have a message from God for you. And as the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand and drew the sword from his right thigh and plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade and his bowels discharged. Ehud did not pull the sword out and the fat closed in over it. Then Ehud went out to the porch. He shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. After he had gone, the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked. And they said, he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the palace. They waited to the point of embarrassment. But when he did not open the doors of the room, they took a key and unlocked them. And there they saw their their Lord fallen on the floor dead. While they waited, Ehud got away. He passed by the stone images and escaped to Sarai. Where he, or when he arrived, he blew a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went down with him from the hills and, and uh, with him leading them. Follow me, he ordered, for the Lord has given Moab your enemy into your hands. So they followed him down, took possessions of the fords of the Jordan that led to Moab. They, all, they allowed no one to cross over, and at that time they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong, and no one escaped 
And from that day, Moab was subject to Israel and the land had peace for 80 years. Anyone having questions about what's happening in the story? <laughs> Everyone kind of understands what just happened, right? It's there. It's, it's part of the story. It's graphic. It's intense. And, and before we get into the nitty-gritty details, why, right? Like, why such violence? And why Ehud? Violence in Judges prevalent. It's, it's there. And, and one of the questions that we have to kind of work through as a body of believers is, why in the world can we say that the God that we serve is a God of love, and yet when we read Judges, there is so much violence? Essentially at the green light from God. How do we deal with that? I kind of jotted down a few responses that we could take as a starting point. This is not the exhaustive list of things, and we can go much deeper into this, but some starting points for you guys to kind of take and put into your little uh, uh, thought process in the bank up there to, to, to talk about when someone asks a question is, how do we deal with violence in the, in the Old Testament? How do we deal with that? How do, we, how do we look at that? Well, first, we need to understand that violence um, is perceived on different levels from each person. We have pacifists and people who aren't pacifists, even in the faith. They're, they're, uh, one of the dominations, Mennonites, they believe there should be no act of violence. So you will not find a Mennonite in the armed forces unless they're a chaplain of some sort, but even that's going to be kind of rare. Whereas on the Nazarene church, we're not necessarily pro-violence, but we are for understanding that we have calls to different areas in life, and so we are okay with people serving in armed forces. So in our own culture, we have a divide, right? Like, so in the U.S., we have a divide of people who are, and we're kind of generalized in just two camps. There's still like many camps within all this. Um, but on a global perspective, violence is more the norm than not, um, which is kind of hard to wrap our heads around. And violence, uh, even into petty little things of like stealing for food for meals to all the way up to the persecution of people. It's around. It's around the globe on a pretty heavy basis. So even in the U.S., we're in a bit of a minority when it comes to the world standards of violence. Um, even though violence happens around us, and it might seem like there could be a lot of it depending on where we live in a particular city, by and large, the U.S., our, our level of violence is low, comparatively speaking, to some other parts of the world. Which brings in the second part. Context is a huge thing. Understanding the context of not just where you're at uh, in, the, in, the, in the world, but also in the time. So when we look at the book of Judges, um, I've talked about this before, we need to be careful not to bring our understanding and our presuppositions and our, our thought process of what we think is right and wrong and put it onto the writing of Scripture. Because we can get to the position of saying, look at how wrong they are, or look at how bad it was or how bad they act when, okay, maybe that was, but not to our standards. Our standards shouldn't drive scripture. Scripture should drive our standards. Um, in fact, it's, it's better for us to dig into scripture without, as best as we can, it's hard not to do it, um, without bringing in our own thoughts, our own judgments, our own, our own preconceived notions, but trying to understand the culture in that time frame. 
Because how they lived during the time of the judges to how we live now, day and night ways of living. Day and night ways of living, okay? There are some that say judges really should be this dramatic because of the reality of failure. The reality of failing to, to follow God's commands. Sin isn't pretty. The effects of sin are not pretty. Failure is rough. And going through Deuteronomy and coming out of, coming out of the wanderings of, of, of the desert into the promised land and within a generation, like they, they forgot God, which we'll get into that in a minute. Understand what Israel was doing they allowed themselves to tolerate and accept other practices, which in turn had bigger effects than just judges. When you read in the, in the Jeremiah chapter seven, Israel started dabbling in child sacrifices because of what happened by not driving out all the Canaanites. Like when you follow the, the path of what was going on through their history, that was a direct result of child sacrifices from what happened with not driving the people out. So unfortunately, at times, we need to understand the reality of, of disobeying God. And I think it's just really interesting, too. Like, we, we in, our, in, in our society, we, we throw out the words of toleration and, and acceptance, and, and which is great in one sense, but also not so great in the other. We got to run a fine balance and a fine line within the church of still living in this world but not being a part of this world, which means we are going to have to draw lines in the sand at, at some points in time. It doesn't mean we need to be jerks about it. But our job, our call, our way of living is not to tolerate the world but to affect change on the world. That's challenging, that's difficult, that's hard because it, it, it butts heads with so many different opposing viewpoints and opposing forces. So go easy with that, but understand we do have to have, to have that, those moments and I'm not sure what the best way to do that is. Um, they're all specific to the, to the instance. Another part is that Israel never gets carte blanche just to kill. It's really easy to read in the Old Testament that Israel is wiping out a nation and got, you know, wait, so Israel just wipes out people who, who they just don't like? That's not necessarily how it goes. Um, and even when there is a wiping out of a people, there's a couple of things that don't always get talked about. One, there's these points of restoration. And there's also people that it's not necessarily always about the, the people. So like where they're told to drive out the Canaanites and we'll get into the reason why in here in a minute, but it wasn't about them being a race. It wasn't about uh, an ethnic cleansing. It wasn't about driving out because God hates Canaanites. The Canaanites, we'll just get into now. The Canaanites were polytheistic. They served many gods. This is about driving out the gods and, and, and having that separation between God is the God of I am who I am and this is the way it has to be and there can be no other and if and in order to be no other we have to drive the people that are following this out and what's interesting is like even when it, the Egypt and, and, the, and when coming out of 
um, to the point of the Red Sea and coming out of slavery, there are Egyptians that ended up going with the Israelites. It's not necessarily about the race. It's about what's going on. Excuse me. It's about the other small gods and wiping them out, getting rid of the small gods because they're not supposed to be there. We can also say that it's not a racially divided thing, that God hates a certain races or other because God allowed his own people through Egypt and through the Babylonian exile to be subjected to intense slavery and oppression. So God is just, which is also the other hard part that is not always easy for us to understand. We don't always like it. Like we, we love the fact that God is love. We do, and God is, but God is just. Remember, like, and it's, it's not always a fun feeling to, and a fun thing to think about, but God's existence isn't dependent upon us. God existed before us. God was before us. And if God decides to wipe out all of humanity, God will still be. For a lack of a better way to say it, and it's not the most theological way to do it, probably not the prettiest way to do it, but God can do what God wants to do. And who are we to say otherwise? The story in Isaiah when he has a vision of standing before God and, and you know, the whole thing of like having his lips touched by coal and the angel and the cherubim are there and everything else going on, right? Like, and his, the, Isaiah's fearful state of being of like, oh my gosh, this is not the like, oh, here's God and I should just not... God, you can wipe me out. I do not deserve to stand in your presence. I am sinful. I have done wrong. I'm like, I should not be allowed to stand before you. Like this, this is God. So God can call people to say, I need you to go take care of this other group of people because of their polytheistic ways of living or their they don't, they don't remember me. And, and so it, it's, it's hard. It's hard to wrap our head around the violence that we read about and also say that God still loves people. And here's the deal. God loves people because God created them. They are image bearers of himself. So like, it's, it's not, I don't, I, I also don't think we should like, just think that God is willy nilly going, just wipe them out. Like I, I, Since we're his image bearers, why would that's got to bring some amount of pain? I'm not going to go and tell Melissa, go wipe out our kids. Because they bear our image, they're part of who we are. So I can't imagine God is willy-nilly about this, and God isn't willy-nilly. So there's some areas of just kind of thinking about the problem of, of, of violence in the Old Testament. So hope that was fun for you. We're going to jump into the next part now. Um, brief look at some things. Um, in verse 12, it says, and, and the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And again, God's love just and everything else, like, when we read in, in uh, the previous section of chapter three, it says that they also forgot. 
And this isn't like the forgot, like I didn't pray this day. I didn't spend five minutes in my devotion that day. Um, This was the willingness to continually go against God's ways, even though they know. And because of that, they, they just get put under subject under, or under Eglon. And Eglon is king of Moab, the Moabites. And why is that important? I just said they won. They're polytheistic, and they're on like their eastern border. And Moab is powerful. They have money. They have resources. They have, they're, they're gaining allies from the Amorites and the Melekites. And so they're strong. And it seems to be Israel's story from now even up to today, like the small nation with people around that are surrounding them always wanting to wipe them out, right? And they go and they just get attacked by, by Moab. And they're under this oppression by a powerful land, which if they just would have done what they should have from the very get-go, this wouldn't have been an issue. So Ehud comes into play. And what do we know about Ehud. He's left-handed, and he's, he's from a son, son uh, uh, Gera from, from the uh, Benjamite clan. When they put details in Scripture, they're there for a reason. If you study Judges, you might know. If not, uh, I'll let you know. Uh, left-handedness was not considered the norm, which meant that you were kind of socially awkward and maybe even to the point of seeing it as a disability. So do we have any left-handed people in here? Yeah, we have a couple. All right. So that, when I said earlier context, like don't take our own context and put it on to whatever's going on in scripture. Like we know that left-handed people aren't, it's not a, a disability. It just looks weird when, you, when you're writing on paper this way. I, I don't know how you guys do it. Um, but we know it's not a disability, right? So we can't look at, at judges in this chapter and go, oh my gosh, how can they write like that? How can they be that way? Like, that's just who they were at that point in time. It's what they knew. It's what they understood. And, and so that, that detail is important because where does he put his sword? On the right thigh. Because if you're right-handed, you put it on your left thigh, right? Because you come across and you come out. You don't, you don't do this motion that's awkward and weird. It's a coming across. Those are... These are moments in scripture when we read them. Sometimes we just read over things, but they're important. Because as he goes down there and, and, and he meets up with them, this, this king, he passes through the, I would assume because most kings had guards, right? Like he's passing through guards without being noticed. Now, think about this for a moment. How can he pass through the guards? Um, how many of us have flown since 9-11? Most of us have flown, right? So there's this TSA thing, right? If you, if you don't raise your hand, if you've been arrested, you also know this other practice too of the pat down. So either through TSA or through being arrested, we probably have been subjected to a pat down at some point in time where we stand there like this and someone takes our hands and they pat down our sides and our legs and stuff and they're doing it by feel, feeling for abnormalities. They're feeling for things that could potentially be weapons that could harm other people. And if you're right-handed in the time of the judges and you were a soldier and you were right-handed, most people are looking at your left leg. So he was able to go face-to-face with the king. 
and no one knows anything about it. And he pulls out the sword from the right thigh from his left with his left hand, and he just stabs this king in the belly, and they're like this this king is it's it's just gross. And I'll say it because I know we're all kind of thinking about like the king poops his pants. It's there, like it's in scripture. It's what it says. And 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 again, we we read that and we're like, why is that even there? Because of when the doors are locked, the guards stand there, and they know what the king is doing because it smells. So like. If you ever need a reason to understand, like, we should have maybe live in a little bit better health, um, the King's Guard knew what, knew what was going on by outside the door because this guy was not in good health. And they waited for the embarrassing amount of time. Like, all these details are so strange when we read them in Scripture, but they, they help give us the timeline and the understanding of how much time was actually really needed. Ehud somehow knew, if I lock these doors, I have X amount of time to get away. And it's all, this story is all about the fact that the, the social, not normal individual made a huge impact and it served Israel for 80 years. What was not considered normal helped hundreds of thousands of people. What this one moment did, taking out this one king, allowed them to do to take out 10,000 other people to get them out of bondage of 18 years to live in freedom for 80. It's huge. Now, questions we need to deal with does this give us, or when we read chapter three, does it, does it mean that we are called to go out and kill people? No. Does it mean, because Ehud used deception, does it mean that we're okay to just go out and use deception? No. This was a specific situation in scripture, but we are called to follow God's own direction in our lives. That's what we're called to do. Ehud had a call to go take care of Eglon. Most of us probably won't be face-to-face with high-powered, influential people to somehow take them out and help out a land. But we all have things that society would consider not normal. Behaviors, motives, actions, physical things, mental things. We, we all have something that's not considered normal by society, which means we're all a bit weird, okay? Like, let's own that. There's some oddities about us that we're okay with and that we, we just deal with. And maybe it's those things that we're so uncertain about ourselves that God is gonna do the greatest thing with. Which hopefully changes our perspective, of how we view the things that we struggle with. And speaking personally as well, 
so you can hold me to this and use my own words against me and all that stuff. We have a thing in our household that like, if I say something on a Sunday morning and I, I, might, I might do that later, Melissa will say like, but you said, I'm like, no, 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 don't use my words against me. You can't, that's not how we do this. Um, because I know I've been on that path of like, I'm in pain, you know, my body doesn't feel good. Why is this happening? Why do I have to deal with this? If we look at the story as what happens with the judges, maybe we can start looking at ourselves and go, wait a minute, maybe the things that we feel are holding us back or the things that aren't considered normal are the things that are going to be part of the greatest good for the kingdom. Which hopefully reshapes our view of how we see God in our lives. I know there was, you know, talk a decade or so ago that like focus on your strengths don't focus on your weaknesses and it's all corporate stuff which is all fine and good and everything else and like if you're weak in these areas let other people who are strong which I think is good and those practices are great like if you can't do some things well find someone else that can and do those things but at the same time don't discredit yourself in the weaknesses just because you might be weak in something doesn't mean you don't hold value and it doesn't mean you can't be a part of those things because of whatever that weakness is or whatever you feel is that weakness. Because who knows? Because as we said earlier, like God, God can do whatever God wants to do. And if God wants to take your weakness and do something incredible with it, God's going to do that. And rather than fight God on it, ride the wave and go with it. There's a few people that argue with God uh, in Scripture, in the Old Testament. Moses was one of them. And what did Moses tell God about himself? I, I'm not a great speaker. And what was God's response? Like, who made you? Job didn't understand why he had to suffer so much and had that great, wonderful conversation with God towards the end of the book of Job. And what, what did... What did God finally tell Job? Did you make anything? Did you make the earth? I know what I'm talking about. I get it. It's easy to look at the person who we consider an authority over us, whether it's a parent or a grandparent, a teacher or God, a boss, whoever, and say, when they call us to do something, go, I don't think I can do that. When the reality is, especially when it comes to God, God knows what you can do. God designed you. <laughs> Sometimes we still argue with him, and I don't think God is afraid of the arguments. I really don't. God is very relational. God wants us to have a dialogue with him, but God also wants us to come around to to realize that God is who God is and we should trust that and be okay with that. The other thing too is I, I don't, we don't know exactly Ehud's call and how it all kind of came about, but Ehud did what he did. But Ehud had to start with something. He couldn't have led the people to take care of 10,000 without taking care of Eglon first. 
So I know sometimes we think about, well, if I could just get to this point, I can do the great things there. But in order to do the great things there, we need to start here. We need to start. One thing at a time. One foot after the other. One prayer after one prayer. One whatever. So, I know God is going to call you to something if he hasn't done that already. The question comes back down to, do we argue with God about that or do we trust God enough to know that, yes, you've created me and I can do something that I don't think I could really do? Ehud was left-handed. It was a social abnormality at the time. If we know anything from the parts of the Old Testament that when things weren't considered social norms, you were kind of on the back burner of society. So maybe he was. Maybe he was, maybe he was more center than he was on the, on the back, but because of the left-handedness. I don't know. We don't know much about it. But the pattern of the Old Testament shows us that abnormalities meant you weren't considered a front-of-the-line individual. Yet he saved the people and brought them into 80 years of peace. So, I want to pray for us. And maybe our prayer needs to be like just to be willing to acknowledge God first and foremost, but then also come into the understanding that we can accept our deficiencies. The things that we don't think highly about ourselves with and say, God, you still created me? And how can you use this? Because maybe it's for one, maybe it's for 10 people, maybe it's for 100, maybe for 1,000, who knows? It's your story, it's your journey. So let's pray. And... uh, go from there. Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you for the story of Ehud, even as colorful as it is, um, just the reality of you work in the details. We thank you for raising up people to save others, to give them a bit of peace and a bit of hope. in a world where we do feel a lot of oppression even till, even in this day. And I would even say, God, what we even call like the land of the free of the U.S., we still feel a lot of oppression in different areas of our lives. So may we sit back for a while and recognize that you have created us as your image, within your image, as image bearers of you, that we have been given everything we need to do a good work, uh, to be kingdom building, to be effective. And all the things that we feel less than about, may we own those in a sense where we can say, even if you want to use my left arm, even if you want to use my anxiety, even if you want to use my broken relationships from the past, even if you want to use 
my depression. I won't shy away from it. And if we don't shy away from it, God, maybe we just find joy (laughs) in the things that we don't feel are so great. Father, we love you. We want to do great kingdom building things. But let us just start with the first step and acknowledging you for who you are our Savior, our Creator. And may we take that, just a little bit of knowledge there, and just go to the next step, whatever you have it to be. So Father, we ask these things in your name. Amen.